So before we, um, we delve into the word, in Psalm 3, uh, it's, an, it's our introduction to the type of psalm that it is, and that's a psalm of lament. And it's a personal one, it's a, an individual a psalm of lament. And as we go through this, let's just commit our time um, in prayer, just briefly. Father God, we come to you, Lord. I ask for your blessing, that your word may be spoken through, Lord. It is your authority. Um, let me be a humble mouthpiece for you this morning. And I pray that as we listen, we'll submit to it. May our hearts be encouraged as we hear it. And we trust your Holy Spirit will apply the work in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, how are we all this morning? Um, some of us, like John says, like the weather, are happy, feeling quite positive, cheerful. Some of us, maybe not so cheery. Um, you may be troubled this morning something that weighs heavy on your minds and your hearts. And sometimes we might feel like the world is against us or we feel isolated or lonely. No one is by our side and we are overwhelmed by our adversaries. Our psalmist today in Psalm 3 is in a similar predicament, but what does he do in his dire situation? So today I'm just gonna highlight three points in our passage. Um, the psalmist situation, point one, psalmist solace, and the psalmist uh, supplication or prayer. Um, the, the point breakdown, I must admit, I bar I'm borrowing from John MacArthur. Uh, though I was adamant to have my own set of alliterations, he had the psalmist predicament, the psalmist peace, and the psalmist prayer, but I'd like to have my own uh, set of alliteration. So, although the psalm is a personal lament of uh, a psalm, the progression from the acknowledgement of the psalmist helplessness to confidence in his great God presents us with a right and proper response on what we can do with our own predicaments. Who our faith and confidence should be placed in and the dependence to cry out to God to take action. This type of psalm is pretty common. Um, we see laments like this in the early books. Remember, psalms is comprised of five books, one through five. And lament psalms carry in them uh, a frustration, almost a groaning, a strong emotion responding to the terrible circumstances the psalmists find themselves in. And expressing these frustrations to God is not necessarily wrong. In fact, through struggling through them, God can be found more readily. Many a faith has been strengthened through trying times and even, uh, than even than times of blessing. Hope shines all that much brighter when seen through darkness. So how are we to respond in and through difficult times is what distinguishes us from the world. And the Psalms of Lament are a great companion, teaching us to walk ever more closely with our God. And so let's look at our passage, Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. As I say, um, Psalm 3 is one of the first individual lament that we see, and it's the psalm by uh, King David, or at least of King David. We don't know if he necessarily uh, wrote it down, but it's of him, as he was being pursued by his son Absalom. Now, if you know the story, the, the events of, of this are recorded in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel uh, chapters 15 through 18. It details of Absalom's conspiracy, uh, to dethroning his father and was uh, successful in winning over the people's hearts. You know, he was a, quite a charming campaigner. 
not unlike many politicians uh, during election season. But um, David's life is now in danger because of this and must flee. So let me just read a quick uh, snippet from that in 2 Samuel, verse 13, it says, and a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Sam Tree then depicts David's heart amidst his predicament. The literary style of the Psalms uses, you know, again, parallelisms, repetition, uh, to accentuate his plea. He is overwhelmed as we see um, the cry he makes to the Lord. Even his trusted subordinates betray him. The people who used to chant his praise are now against him. We see the word many repeated times in these verses. Many, many, many. He is outnumbered. And we get the sense that he is threatened, not just physically, but also spiritually, as his foes taunt him. There is no salvation for him and God. It's one thing to be abandoned by everyone else, but to think of being forsaken by God is a soul-crushing thought. The threat seems to be coming from all directions, and now he is driven in desperation to cry out to God that he knows have been with him since the beginning. When terrible things happen in your life, and they do, sometimes people can make you doubt whether your God is with you or that God has abandoned you. This reminds me of um, Job, Job's wife in particular, in his terrible suffering. The last person who should have been encouraging him to faithfully endure your, your wife, your spouse, tells Job to curse his God and die. When everyone leaves your side and even suggests that not even God will deliver you, this is the time you recall the character of God in faith. I'm blessed by the fact that um, I have not many enemies that I know uh, that are in pursuit of me, but I can somewhat attest, albeit by a small fraction, what it feels um, to be overwhelmed. I remember not too long ago, or not too long in our marriage, uh, Anne and I, maybe in the first year or two, I felt, I felt very overwhelmed, particularly with our financial situation, maybe like most young couples are experiencing. I was just given notice by my manager to um, start looking for another job. You know, we're not quite the Americans who just, you're fired, it's just this subtle Irish way of maybe you start looking, you know, and apply and quietly. Um, so I was given that notice, given the nudge to, to go. And so, you know, because of the zero hour contract arrangement, anyway, the bills were mounting, no prospect of a mortgage. And how many, how do these people afford all these insurances? You know, you got life insurance, home insurance and pensions. Plenty of worries that occupied my head. Many bills are rising against me, I might say. In retrospect now, God has proven himself faithful in his provision and in a sense, a protection from debt and other financial pitfalls. I know it's a weak and small uh, comparison to King David's circumstance, but we prayed to the same God. We prayed to the same big God. We can be overwhelmed by our adversaries, be, be they people or otherwise. Should we listen to others and what they wrongly say about God? Or should we unwaveringly hold, hold on to the truths that you know about God? 
his sovereignty, his absolute control over the situations in your life, and his care for you. We can cry out to God in a very real way. We can present our problems that appear massive and overwhelming, but next to him, how do they look now? We don't need to listen to the lies that whisper in our ears that God will not save us. There is salvation to be found in the Lord. And from a human point of view, from the perspective of the one suffering, it's understandable. It's only natural that we can be overwhelmed and discouraged. <coughs> suffering is not unique to any human. Persecution is a reality that our brothers and sisters in the Lord right now live through. We live in a world of turmoil, conflict, and tragedy. However, there is a right response, um, to which leads us to my second point, the psalmist solace, or the psalmist peace, from verses three to six. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. We see here in verse 3 that word, but. Again, this, this pivotal word that's about to counter the previous verses. We can see here the psalmist confidence in God, David's source of security. You can even hear the change of tone uh, to a more resolute sound from that of a desperate sound of distress. And we have this image, this imagery of shield. And the shield is a common metaphor uh, used to describe of God's protection. Uh, an interesting thought I had about the shield image, um, it protects us by absorbing the harm uh, on our behalf. And so just keep that thought. My glory and lifter of my head. The times when we feel defeated or disgraced is when our head bows low. It's a beautiful, gentle picture of God we see here changing our posture to that of a confident and secure. As a father, um, I have the privilege, I love when I get to hold up my daughter's head with my hand, lifting her, her head, wiping her tears, and reassuring her it's okay. There is a gentleness and reliable strength portrayed here of God. We see David's certainty of his God, hearing his cries and responding from his holy hill, we saw that from Psalm 2, and this holy hill is where God establishes his king. This is his place of rule. Have you ever cried out to God about your problems? We can have confidence that he hears and will answer our plea. David, in verse 5, can lie down and sleep soundly, knowing that God will keep him. A fugitive on the run will have difficult time getting rest when he needs to be in a constant lookout for of his pursuers. Do various anxieties and worries keep you at night? My financial worries, along with other issues, certainly have. Uh, it's taken much sleep from me. Uh, worrying for my family's safety, worrying about all the dangers that could occur at any given time. Have you ever gone into that rabbit hole of overthinking all the possible danger and risks that could happen to you or your family. I know I have. And especially now with children, you always want to ensure their safety. But you come to a realization, some point or other, that you are powerless. 
You are powerless to do anything and can't possibly determine any guarantee. In the same token, I'm also amazed how I am even still alive. Um, there is comfort to be had here with the Lord, a peace and rest to be found in him. David can wake up knowing full well his God sustains him. His faith rests on the Lord, knowing that the fact that God knows and ordains your beginning and eventual end is a comfort. And so I love that verse in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew 6, talking about worries, anxieties. The Lord Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You know, God sustains all of creation, but especially his beloved children. That's the kind of privilege we have when we trust in him, in his sovereignty and provision. In my life so far, I can attest to God's goodness following me. I've experienced blessings upon blessings, physical and spiritual blessings. Me ending up here in Ireland, despite the unlikely combination of events, is nothing short of God's orchestration. And I can say the same for you. He decrees our paths, preserves us along the way for his glorious purpose. We can trust him. And in verse 6, we see that David, in light of what he knows of God, has no reason to fear, even if surrounded by many thousands. In his view, God is greater than any threat, than any danger. And the result is boldness in faith and fearlessness in the face of any threat. What aspects of your knowledge about God gives you a strong sense of assurance and inner peace to the extent that you can confidently proclaim fearlessness in the midst of challenging situations? We can look to his word. Throughout scripture, we find a multitude of instances that demonstrate God's unwavering presence as a source of comfort and assistance in times of need. These examples serve as a track record showing his consistent faithfulness and reliability in providing help and solace. He is trustworthy, um, but many a times, he's not our first port of call, is he? And we treat him as our last resort. We eventually go to him in prayer, but only after we attempted ourselves in our own strength to deal with our problems. In all circumstances, he should be consulted and the help we call upon no matter how big or small our problem is, faith is active dependence. Do we live our lives in the reality that we have an omnipotent Father who cares for us, who knows our needs before we even ask Him? How often do we reflect on His reliability and trustworthy character? Do we derive our peace and rest from that truth? Has God been your shield? Have you experienced his gentle hand lifting your head high when you feel defeated or when you feel downcast? We can be at peace with the knowledge that God is by our side and can give us boldness to call on him to take action. And this is exactly what we see here with David. He calls on his God to take action, to act. Verse 7, this is my third point, the psalmist salvation or the psalmist prayer. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. 
Upon pondering on the character of God, the psalmist, David's uh, confidence grows. He proceeds to cry out to the Lord to act. He doesn't just settle um, for just surviving the trials he's undergoing, but calling on God for total victory. And we've presented here a, a graphic picture to us of the, the utter decimation of his enemies, a metaphor for their total defeat and humiliation. God is a mighty warrior who can bring about deliverance and salvation. After seeing how gentle and great uh, a source of a comfort and peace the Lord is, to his enemies, he is dangerous. To the wicked, he is violent. And it's quite a contrast. Exodus 15, 3 says here, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. God is the one that leads Israel in victory. They were not to rely on their military prowess, but on God's deliverance. And I would just caution uh, us here. There is a caution to, to note. I would like to highlight in that certain psalms like this, Psalm 3, um, with regards to their imprecatory nature, and that is pleas and prayers to God uh, for God's judgment and punishment upon our enemies or adversaries. The psalm, uh, this psalm is not so explicit in its pronouncement of judgment, like Psalm 35 or Psalm 58, but we have to interpret this in light of what the Lord Jesus instructs us. We're not just to go around pronouncing judgments, Lord, break their teeth, destroy them. Um, Matthew 5, the Lord Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The Apostle Paul in Romans says, Bless those who persecute you and bless, uh, then do not curse them. We must remember that for our salvation, our Lord Jesus was struck and slapped, was humiliated for us, we were the enemies of God who deserved the justice to come on us. We were the wicked that should be punished. But he is rich in mercy. And so we too should be like our God. We relinquish any personal vengeance to him. And I know it's difficult, especially when the attacks are personal. But we are called nonetheless to turn the other cheek instead of striking back. <coughs> Leave God the just judge, deal with it, and he will in full. We can see the psalmist's uh, deep emotion and desire for justice by rightly attributing them to God. There's a tight balance we have to maintain, not to adapt the attitude of hate as if we are justified to take that stance. And uh, when Absalom, King David's son, his pursuer, when he was eventually defeated, if you read the records in 2 Samuel, God gave David victory. He heard his cry and answered. It was ironic that um, Absalom, Absalom's charm in winning the hearts of the people, um, just thinking of his luscious hair, you know, he was one of the kings that had particular attention on his hair. He had very heavy hair, but he was very handsome. and. Um, it was ironic that at the end, it was his hair that was his downfall. As he was fleeing from battle, his hair got caught in the branches of the oak tree, <coughs> suspending him helpless. He was on his donkey, fleeing, and it got caught. 
quite ironic, and he was helpless, dangling, suspended. Uh, it was humiliating for him, and in the end, he was pierced by javelins and killed. But that was not what David commanded, if you know. David, um, despite the persecution he experienced at the hands of his son, he commanded for Absalom's protection. He left justice to God. In 2 Samuel, let me just read the verse. And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake with, my young, uh, with the young man, Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. So Joab was directly commanded, but Joab went um, directly against it. Um, as I was thinking about this account, I couldn't help my mind as I read you know, in 2 Samuel to see the uncanny imagery that were presented here with Absalom. Absalom, the enemy, suspended on a tree, humiliated, pierced, and killed. That is the fate of the enemies of God, brutal destruction. But who do we know hung on a tree? In shame, pierced by a spear and killed. Galatians 3 tells us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. I realize I am the wicked, the enemy of God, the one deserving of judgment, but instead salvation has come on me. Someone has taken my place. I received mercy when someone took the brunt of God's wrath, like a shield indeed, protecting me by absorbing the full wrath of God in my place. At the beginning of this psalm, people taunted David. There is no salvation for him in God. Let me re uh, read this in Matthew 27. And those, who passed, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So all the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. I said at the beginning, the thought of being forsaken by God would be soul-crushing. Well, our Lord Jesus experienced it in full. He was forsaken, so we can be forgiven. There is salvation for us because there wasn't any for him at the cross. I am glad he didn't save himself, and that he endured the pain and suffering, and that is the means that the rest of us receive salvation. We can have salvation because the Lord Jesus forsook it. When we remember this, and then we look at our enemies, we look at our people that we might have personal grudges on, does it change our perspective? Do we follow our Savior in his perfect attitude of compassion, 
mercy and love. At the end, the taunt at the beginning is nullified by the Samus declaration, salvation belongs to the Lord with full confidence. And God has decided how this salvation is to come about. And uh, that is through the death of his son. David not only thought of himself, but of others too, his people. You see that your blessing be on your people. He trusts that God has their well-being in mind. Um, whoever may take the throne, God be blessing beyond them. But for us, his people, we receive the blessings. We have salvation. And it is for the Lord to, to give. And uh, as we respond in hearing this word in Psalms, it is right to groan as we see the world. We live in a world of sin. It is right to cry out to God. But let's not stay in that state. We can find peace in God. And we can call out to God. We should be groaning. We should be frustrated because of sin. But we, there is a right. We can appropriate it rightly. We can turn to God. We Let's attribute justice to Him. Let's not have any personal vengeance. <coughs> we can trust that the, the judge of all the earth will do right. And so I hope that as we study through Psalms, we can feel the emotions of the psalmist, but then they present us a right way to respond. We can be frustrated, but in the Lord, we can present it to him, and he hears, he cares, and we can trust that he will take action. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that it is living and active. I pray now that as we've heard it, um, let us be like King David, Lord, trusting in you despite the situation we might find ourselves in. Lord, we live in a, in a world that's full of suffering, full of trials, but we believe that you are in sovereign, uh, sovereign control of everything. We can trust you. And Lord, I pray that as we experience them, that our faith be strengthened, that our faith may be an assurance and uh, an assurance to us that we are saved because we trust. And so, Lord, I pray that as we think on the Lord Jesus now, as we take of the bread and the juice, that he gave himself up for us. Thank you, Lord, that he did not save himself so that we can have salvation. Lord, he endured the mocking, the taunting, and I praise you for that. Thank you that his death his burial, and his resurrection is now our hope. We can rejoice in that truth. And I pray for each one, if they are yours, that they may be strengthened in that fact. And Lord, for those who are not yet yours, I pray that they, you'd speak into their hearts that the Lord Jesus is the only means of salvation, that to trust in him alone, in faith, by his grace, and so, Lord, thank you for your word now. Bless our week, and as we ponder, may we be convicted of our sin, and may we repent of it this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.